Hello, welcome to episode 162 of Her Petological Highlights, a podcast about reptile and amphibian science. My name's Tom Major. Co-hosting with me, as per usual, is Ben Marshall. Right, right. And yeah, we've got a fun episode today. We've got a Patreon-selected episode, actually. So yeah, big up to our Patreon, Jafe, for supporting the podcast. And as part of Jafe's Patreon membership, he's chosen the chosen another episode topic. And this time... We are doing an episode on reptile vocalizations. So Jafe was interested in finding out about the sounds that reptiles make. And we've kind of narrowed it down, sort of honed in closely on one particular species of lizard. And yeah, we're going to talk about it. To be fair, though, when you talk reptile vocalizations, there are only so many ways you can go. I mean, there's a reason that we have frog calls as a sort of recurring topic as opposed to just herpetofauna calls, because guess what? (laughs) A lot of lizards don't make much noise. Yes, yes. A lot of lizards are thought to be voiceless. Some pretty obvious exceptions too, though. Yeah, I did find a review. Charismatic. There are some big exceptions. You know, like snakes can hiss. But I think Jafe was more interested in like social communication. And this is kind of a bit of a stretch. It's like predators versus prey communication. But yeah, some reptiles do make noises. Obviously, geckos are famously very noisy and they use it for social communication. Tortoises make some noises, but it seems to mostly be um, mating related. Bit of, you know, I don't know if we can scratch a whole episode out of that. <laughs> we probably can, but they do make some very uh, sort of horrible grunts and stuff when they're mating. And then you've got, like I said, snakes hissing and then some vocalizations in lizards. Well, also, while I was doing some digging, looking for a paper, I forget which one, there was something looking at very young turtle calls. I think. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, God. No, no, I'm Why were they squeaking? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like hatchling. Fresh hatchling. Oh, right. Okay. What are they making a sound for? Because they're presumably... Well, I haven't read the paper because I always just sort of grabbed it as a possible. So maybe we'll cover so it later in is... another episode. But from okay. the title, I was gathering title and abstract. It's that it's to time their emergence. So, oh, so that the other ones know. Going out one at a time and getting picked off. They emerge like a a horde of turtles sweeping over the beaches to the ocean, overwhelming their predators. Okay, cool. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. Yeah, but it's been quite a satisfying end, actually. That makes a lot of sense. I like to think of them as sort of a little team coming out. Let we'll we'll dig into it in another episode. We'll, we'll see. But that's far more interesting than any of the stuff I saw about... Um, turtle or tortoise noises but anyway let's introduce this paper so this is by beckins luzia garcia roa and martin 2019 lizard calls convey honest information on body size and bite performance a role in predator deterrence behavioral ecology and social biology you'll notice there's a question mark in that title that's not why i'm just reading it in a strange way and uh yeah the fun idea behind this paper is that when animals encounter predators, prey animals often make a sound, and this can be a means of um, kind of letting the predator know some key facts about the animal. So if you're a big old animal and you can detect there's a predator near you, you might feel scared. If you make a sound which tells the predator something about your body or your dangerousness, it might 
make the predator change its mind about eating you. And that's kind of the the crux behind this paper is that they wanted to see whether the lizards were reacting differently, whether they were doing different calls based on the predators they were sort of sensing in the nearby environment. It's got an extra level, that call thing too. It's because it's not necessarily just a... Well, you need an additional sort of um, mechanism working with it. And that's the sort of spook factor, right? We've talked about blue tongue skinks all the time because they're amazing. And it always comes up. But the idea, okay, predator's coming and it's going to get this skink. And then suddenly all of a sudden, oh, it's surprised by a blue tongue. Oh, I didn't expect that. I'm getting the hell out of here. Because in my heart of hearts, I'm a coward. And off it goes. We always forget the word for it. And it's dimatic. It's a dimatic display or dimatic signal oh. in this case, because we're talking about a call. I thought you were going to try and make me remember a word. No, no, scared, because so. we've failed to remember it numerous times. And this time it's in the paper and it's right in front of me and I wasn't going to forget. Um, <laughs> so there's an extra bit of this honest call, I feel, to make it effective. And that's timing it. If you were to make a call and scream at your predator to spook it away on the other side of a field, well, it might not be very intimidating. And if anything, it might just get the attention of the predator that might not have noticed you. So it is this idea that you make the call at the opportune moment to uh, Mm. sort of unfoot the predator. Yeah, so the species of lizard that we're talking about making this particular call is the Algerian sand racer, which is Samodromus algerus. And as I said earlier, it's kind of unusual in that it's not a gecko, but it make, it's making a sound. So this is a lacerted lizard from the family Lacertidae. And um, the sound they make... looking lizard in my books. Yes, but not a skink, crucially. Not a skink, but has all the characteristics that make it look very yeah. similar to a skink. <laughs> very smooth, very smooth. With its little, uh, probably, little feet and little legs. Yeah, sand racer. So presumably they're pretty fast over sand. Otherwise that would be... Pretty, well, um, we can tell you the speed, can't we? We know how fast they go. How fast can they go? Two and a half metres a second. That seems quite fast. Maximum sprint speed. S- seems quite fast for a little lizard. It seems outrageously fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quite impressed by that. I mean, that's what it says 250 centimetres a second, which is two and a half metres a second, right? I'm like, yes. I'm, I'm doing my bent, uh, basic divide by 100. Yes. Okay, there, right? It's pretty fast. It's outrageous. So they can escape quickly, but they also make this little squeak sound. And there's not much to it from what I can gather by reading about it. Unfortunately, impossible to find the squeak of this lizard anywhere on the internet. This remains a mystery. I wish the authors of the paper had uploaded one, but I guess they didn't record one or whatever. But yeah, they make this if you... No, they definitely record them. They describe the characteristics of the call. <laughs> they have to oh, yeah, it, right? Wild about, of course. They must have hundreds of recordings. <laughs> they have a sardogram. No, it's, again, it's we get landed with nothing. I think I, yeah, there wasn't any electronic supplements that, that had them, I don't think. No, I did check. There wasn't the only yeah, electronic supplement yeah. was a PDF. But yeah, so they did record them, of course. And they recorded these little squeaks. And one crucial thing that we have should probably mention about these squeaks is that Obviously, there's this idea that the squeak is telling the predator something about you, whether it's your whether it's your size or your sort of biting ability or whatever it might be. But in order for that... Probably s- not probably how not. good you taste. Probably not. Yeah, no, not just like a sort of de- general deliciousness signal. Although in some cases, I'm sure there are sounds which probably convey like poisonousness, potentially. Yes. Lack of tastiness. Yeah. But the crucial thing is these have to be honest. So if the lizard is 
big, it will make a sound which could say, oh, I'm big, for example. But it couldn't be a dishonest signal. Like you couldn't have small lizards, certainly not on mass, pretending they were big lizards. Otherwise, the predators would just learn that the sound is meaningless. I mean, they say in this paper it's always honest but i bet you there are some sneaky little i was gonna say it's absolutely i would definitely call that into question because wouldn't there be all it has to be is honest more frequently than not right to maintain the the sort of knowledge in the predator i bet you there's the equivalent of oh my god whichever type of mimicry it is but one of those two mimicry sort of things if you're a species that was smaller but you could make a noise that sounded like something that could deter a predator could you sort of sneak in by mimicking it and sort of piggyback another sort of species or phenotypes success in that sense yeah without you actually fulfilling the promise and without it being honest yeah i feel like there must be cases i feel like if there's ever a way to sort of just sort of shortcut to success in nature. Some, some little creature will evolve it. Okay, so let's talk about the links that they found between the calls and the sort of like characteristics of the lizards making the little squeaks. Yeah, are these lizards honest? Yeah, so that's the question. The things they were looking at, right, were whether or not they can flee more quickly based on their calls and yep. whether they can fight more effectively or whether they have like stronger, was it stronger bite force? Stronger bite force, yeah, that was the metric they had. They had a bunch of um, like morphometrics as well, just to sort of control for like, you know, maybe big ones are faster and things like that because you don't actually want to work out what drives how fast they are. You just want to see the connection between speed and the characteristics of the call. Yep, and it was pretty telling actually. Interestingly, the call was not related to how well they could flee, so it wasn't the case that lizards with a particular call type were faster, telling the predators, oh, I can't chase them down. But actually what it did show was that some of the lizards, you could tell that they were strong biters based on some aspects of the call. So there was an honest signal being portrayed to the predator about how strongly they can bite. So the predator hears a specific kind of call from these lizards and it knows in its heart of hearts that if it gets chomped by that <laughs> lizard, because they're quite big, these lizards, if they get chomped by that lizard, it's going to suck. They don't want to do it. A maximum bite force of 9.69 newtons. Go on. What's that? You got anything that could be relative to? <laughs> I'm not big on newtons. No, I couldn't find something that pressure is such a hard thing. We always get stuck for me on it, to yeah. translate into something that you can sort of get your teeth into. Pun intended. Very good. Because it's all about like how big the contact zone is, right? Yeah, yeah. It gets very confusing, especially when you think about like feeling pain or whatever. It begs the question: Why say it at all? Bite. Really, doesn't it? Hmm? <laughs> I said it begs the question why I say it at all. <laughs> Highly confusing newtons. Well, because it's still a metric for bike force, even if we can't yeah. <laughs> comprehend it in a, in a tidy way. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, we can bite up to 500 to even 700 newtons. So that's 100 mm. times stronger bite. But like you say, there's so much more area biting down. Right. It's hard to... Yeah translate that highly confusing but nevertheless you know they can bite i'm sure you know have you been bitten off by a medium-sized lizard it does hurt like it's not pleasant and if you're a predator who's closer to them in size it would be unpleasant and all it has to be is unpleasant enough to sort of prompt a release right to then get away because i mean these these are little lizards aren't they they're not going to defeat whatever predator in just straight i was gonna say hand-to-hand combat but the equivalent of <laughs> little lizard feet to uh various predator combat it is like a ah get away from me 
sort yeah. of deterrent, right? Yeah, and um, this study's quite cool because, you know, they've shown that these little Algerian sand racers are, even though it's a pathetic little squeak, they're still telling their predators something about themselves, which serves as a warning. And actually, this is the first time ever that a study has provided evidence of an honest acoustic signal from a reptile. So it's actually the first time ever this has been, like, properly demonstrated. So this is probably a bit of a... um sort of watershed moment in terms of us sort of discussing this kind of thing, because I'm sure this is going to prompt other people to try and understand warning calls and all sorts of stuff and how that relates to predators. Yeah. I think what's also neat is this paper already has hints at something more complex going on, because it's not even that the calls were just... What were you saying? They were saying like they were la- louder, right? <laughs> what was what was your initial... Um. What was the initial metric you said for the, how the calls differed for stronger biters? I didn't really say it at all. Oh, well, then it's almost doubly important that I go on to this. <laughs> yeah. Basically, they were less complex in terms of the sort of, uh, the sort of spectral variation of them. So you've got a more uniform sound, essentially, and they were lower pitch. Mm. So you have this distinct, slightly different, yeah, yeah, so dominant frequency, lower pitch. So if you've got a a more, <laughs> I suppose, wavery, high-pitched call, smaller lizard, easier meal. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like most animals, as they size up, their voices get deeper. But maybe I'm just getting biased by humans. No, no, they bring that up in relation to another lizard species, I believe. Yes, because what they were finding as well was that head width specifically head width was associated with a stronger bite as well so you do have this sort of combination there that it could be an amplification sort of thing sorry they don't bring it up in a a lizard their example is with blackbirds Hmm. with beak opening angle relating to call intensity and volume control that's interesting you're on the right lines and it does appear in other animals okay not lizards but birds Hmm. are not too far yeah, I feel like in humans, though, the reason that men have deeper voices isn't because, or like men, so males are generally larger, deeper voice, but it's not to do with how wide that males can open their mouths, is it? It's to do with like a sort of internal voice box structure as a result of different right. sex hormones. It can be internal, not easily visible necessarily. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. And the other thing, which you bring up the sort of human relation thing, everybody's got different voices, right? Yeah. Like, it's very rare to find someone that sounds exactly the same as somebody else. Yeah. Lizards are the same. They did have quite remarkable individuality I like in that. their calls. It's so much so that they were sort of suggesting that they had a yeah discriminant analysis revealing around 90% of the calls were correctly assigned to individual lizards. So, honestly, I, I don't know how to translate a discriminant analysis into to a probability that... It's easier to interpret, but uh, <laughs> so what does the impression that mean? I get from that is you surely you're heading towards the territory of being able to ID a lizard's identity from its voice. Is that what the researchers are doing that or the computers doing that? Well, discriminant analysis is a statistical technique. Okay, right. So they're asking it, right, can you tell who's who? And yes, they're different. Or is it just like, oh, I see. Do you have like multiple calls from the same individuals in a big soup? And then you sort of... Say that's the second one. Okay, I see, I see. Okay, that's I believe, interesting. I believe. Yeah, interesting. I'm desperately looking in their efforts to find... Okay, so if you it. have a load of samples of all the different... So if you had like 100 people's voices 
recorded 10 times, put into a big soup, the thing could pick out whose voices are who and put them into categories. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, <coughs> no. My impression was it was a sort of glorified PCA sort of thing, but okay. reading through the methods, I think I'm mistaken and I'm getting it mistaken for something else because it seems like it's sort of a manoeuvre. Well, in one way or another, it is doing as I, as I described, isn't it? Sort of filtering out who's who so yeah either way there's a lot of individuality there and yes yeah which is which is but there is a general tendency for ones to bite stronger having lower pitched more more simple simpler calls sort of less less (laughs) the big dumb ones are like (laughs) they just have a yeah but it works right (laughs) so now that that leads us on to the next question is does that work Hmm. because it does they did show that these calls do tally up relatively nicely with the hearing ranges, hearing ranges of potential predators. Yeah, because there's no sure. point making a noise, and I think you're meant to be spooking away. You can't hear, and they do tally up. Other than for snakes, snakes need a lower pitched sound. <laughs> Squeal all you want, the snake's gonna eat you regardless. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. The other cool thing. Just with that, in relation to hearing, the other lizards can't hear it. <laughs> what? They can't hear it? Wait. They're consp- they can't hear it. They can't hear their own call? Yeah, there's a wonderful line here. That's, this would imply that the vast majority of calls produced by this lizard are too high-pitched to be heard by members of their own species. What? So how the hell are they They're making that sound without being able to hear the feedback of it? That's so crazy. Right. And also, as they say in the discussion, it pretty much discounts the idea that it's a warning call for other fellow lizards to get the hell out of there. Oh my gosh, so it is a single solitary. So it pushes it very much into that diamatic spook the predator territory as opposed to, oh my god, they got me, everybody run for the hills. Mm, very cool. All right, wicked. Yeah. So there we go, the first evidence ever that a lizard is telling its predator something about itself. And that thing is, I can bite. Watch out how I can bite strong. So let's move on, shall we, to our species of the bye week. All right, we've got a paper bye. Cola, Venegas, Castilla Verbena, Glore, Aguiar, Contriano, and Vences, 2023, a third species of glass frog in the genus Camarella, Anura centralinidae, from central Peru, didn't need to say those. Discovered by an integrative taxonomic approach published in the journal Evolutionary Systematics. What? So many words. Okay, cool. We're talking about <laughs> a new frog that's been described. A beautiful new frog. Yes, it is nice. And we were talking about glass frogs actually recently, weren't we? Um, and we were talking about whether or not they got smashed by raindrops. <laughs> and we were reliably informed that they do not yeah 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 uh, it's actually quite funny some uh, a friend of mine shaman in a group chat put people were doing animal facts and he just put like did you know glass rocks can't be smashed by raindrops <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny that's a good fact it's true fact and so yes this species is cool it looks like a glass frog where are we we're in peru mm-hmm. lovely place to be a, a sort of um nice green frog and being as it's a glass yeah, frog, sort of it does central, sort of... central southern Peru, I think. Central southern Peru. Well, more central than southern. Okay, it does the thing that glass frogs do. It's sort of see through. It has the special, 
they call it the sheath inside where it tucks its organs behind like a little white layer and the rest of its body is completely see-through it stops circulating blood presumably like its other glass froggy colleagues that we were talking about a few weeks ago and sort of hides the blood away so that it looks pretty much see-through in the daytime that was outrageous that just yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, it just looks like incredible a really, creatures. Yeah, it's a nice bright green small frog with like sort of starry night yellow spots on the back, big eyes, very forward facing eyes, which gives it a slightly sinister aspect. Mm. It's a predator and it, it knows it. It is a predator. And what have they called it? What was it? Chimerella Mira. Yeah. What does that mean? Surprising. Oh, that is a surprise. Why did they call it that? Because they weren't expecting it to be undescribed. Because <laughs> oh. they thought it was another species. <laughs> oh, there it is. It turns out it's actually different. I noticed there's one in the genus called Corleone. Is that named mm-hmm. after a mob boss? I can only assume that there are more people with that name than <laughs> your titular characters. <sighs> oh, it's probably been insensitive to ask that, isn't it? Let me see here. Corleone. Uh, hard one to Google because of the mafia. But while you're looking at that, it's only a little frog. It's only 20 millimetres SVL. Tiny. So a very small, delicate looking frog. Okay. No. Yeah. I think it is to do with... Uh, I could spell the word etymology. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it is. Oh, so the Corleone family are fictional. I'd forgotten. I thought, For some reason, I thought it was a real family, but they're not. They're the fake ones from the Godfather series. So yeah, the other frog was named for that family. Wait, specifically the fictional, as in specifically the fictional one? Yeah, the fictional ones from the Godfather films. That's what, what they named it Why? after. I don't know. I don't know. I think they battle. I think they fight or something. Oh. So maybe it's because of their combat, which okay. isn't as tenuous as it initially seems, perhaps. Oh, oh, no, 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 maybe not. Yeah, no, combat, nothing's known about the combat. So pff, God knows where they call them that. Anyway, <laughs> hmm. that's a different species. Kim a mystery Ella for Corleone. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one was described back in 2014. But going back to this one, Ben, we were excited, weren't we? Because we're reading this species description. We're reading all about Camarella Mira. And in the paper... They've actually recorded the call. And not only that, they've gone one step further, haven't they? And they've actually uploaded the call to an online database so we can hear it. And I mean, how many calls have you searched for on that database? I've searched for a lot of calls in a lot of species description papers that lead to various different websites and the links or DOIs or whatever reference number is given leads you to nothing, either because it's not there yet and it's still under an embargo or people who have forgotten to put it there, or some other various reason. <laughs> and it's unbelievably frustrating. But no, these guys did a super job. Yeah. It's and just up on Zenodo, and you have it, correct? I have it. Kudos to you for persevering and getting it. And here is the call of the brand new, newly described Kimarella Mira. That's a little tick. I hadn't listened to it before. It's a bit underwhelming, to be honest. They call it tree notes. T-R-I-I. No, I shouldn't say that. It's beautiful, but um, there's only a few little pit pit. Well, it's delicate, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what That's I was what expecting. They are very delicate creatures. Yeah. Only a little. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some sort of 
Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's quite a beautiful sound. It'd be really nice to hear that in the woods. Yeah, exactly. Imagine it in a mixed in with some other calls and a general sort of forest ambiance. I definitely heard the sploosh of a Wellington boot going into some water at some point. Ah, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very nice. But yeah, so um, thank you very much to the authors. It's absolutely legendary that they took the time to upload oh, that super. so you can play it. It's really nice because normally you just don't get to hear them. So yeah, beautiful new frog. We don't, do we know much about its sort of behaviour, what it does? There was a little bit of sort of natural history of it being collected on sort of stream banks near a river system. It's pretty classic sort of forest frog sort of situation of sort of swampier sort of lentic water bodies, but with plenty of vegetation around half a metre to two and a half metres above ground. Hmm. And they like still water. Yeah, they got saying egg clutches and larvae are unknown. Hmm. Lives with other fellow frog friends or enemies. Yeah. Very good. Well, welcome to science. Data deficient is what they're suggesting for it. So, mm. okay. Kimarella Mira, close relative of Kimarella Corleone. This one's got a better name. And um, yeah, that's cool. Welcome to science. Oh, superb. Beautiful frog. So, Ben, have you got any other business for this week? I do. I have quite a minor bit of any other business and also not particularly business like, but was. A story caught my attention and was quite entertaining in my mind. So, there has been a massive snapping turtle spotted in the Chicago River. <laughs> An absolute behemoth. <laughs> and it was notable because of its sheer size. <laughs> There's not an easy way to quickly send you the, the picture of this monster. Wait, send me it on Discord. I want to see. I have to see. It's an absolute beauty. And part of it's, okay, it's a bigger deal because you don't tend to see uh, snapping turtles out and about because they're, they're bumming thing. around at the I bottom of the water, thing. apparently. Sorry. But the sort of second coolness of it is it might be a sort of a further indication that the Chicago River's doing a bit better than it was. I don't know about, <laughs> about that because I would have imagined snappers are potentially some of the most robust against pollutants in any sort of system, but it being up the food chain, potentially it's more susceptible to sort of bioaccumulation issues. So maybe it is, maybe it is good. I don't know how good they are as an indicator species, but one thing is for sure, it's an absolutely glorious specimen and uh, kind of brilliant. It is huge. <laughs> this is the sort of news I can get behind. Yeah, they called it Tronchosaurus. I actually saw the video and the guys who, I think they're kayaking and they're like, look at the size of it. Like, they can't believe it. It's so funny. They're proper Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sheer joy yeah, they of coming the across this turtle is, yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, classic. Love some big turtle news. Cool. All right, wicked. Well, um, yeah, if you haven't got any other business. That was all I had, this glorious monster in the Chicago River. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, in that case, yeah, I think that all there needs to be said is that you can find us on social media. If you want to become a Patreon, then you can. Patreon.com slash Herp Highlights. Thanks again to Jay for selecting today's episode. And yeah, I think that's about it, isn't it? So yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>